You're listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Thank you guys for leading us in song this morning. Thank you all for singing. Y'all sound good. Welcome and good morning. I'm Daniel Foster, um, and it's an absolute honor and a joy to be with you guys this morning. Um, As Gordon said earlier, we're in week two of Advent. Pastor Derek kicked us off last week where we really dialed into um, love, specifically the love of God being the longing and the wanting that we actually truly desire, the love of God that we are waiting for to be fully recognized at the second coming of Jesus. Pastor Derek, thank you for your faithfulness to us and to God's word last week. Um, this week we've got the same theme of, of wanting and waiting. We've got the same base text of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or to put it another way, God is my provider, I need nothing. This theme and this text is going to be the same throughout our Advent season here. And uh, we've got a couple of resources for you guys on the back table back there. We've got an Advent calendar to use that goes through December. It's not too late, so grab one of those calendars if you want. Start today. We've also got um, devotionals book on that back table. Free resources for you guys. Use them. We commend those to you guys. Um, they're they're good resources. So. Um, I'm going to pray, and and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together today. Lord, we ask that you would give us your peace that cannot be found in our own strength or striving or searching. God, give us a longing for your peace and not a temporary fix that leads us only down a path to destruction. Lord, where there is hostility and brokenness, Lord, let us be ambassadors of reconciliation and show peace to those far off and peace to those near. God, help us to trust that you are the peace that we need. Let us preach peace to ourselves and to all those that we come in contact with because we are in desperate need of it. On a daily basis, Lord. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, if you couldn't tell through that prayer, I've been given the topic of peace. Um, and, and at first, to be honest with you, I was a little bit overwhelmed because with everything that's been going on around us recently, peace seems like it is the last thing that's on our minds. At least it's not in the top three, that's for sure. The, the state that we seem to constantly be in is conflict and, and turmoil and hostility and, and brokenness. Even, um, even just driving in to a, a church service on Sunday morning, anybody that has kids know that peace is a stretch. That's the, the fighting, the crying, the whining... And then you've got the kids to deal with. That's, I'm, 
I'm joking. Rachel knows I said that. She, I checked in. But seriously, even without kids, driving can have us begging for peace, especially in Nashville traffic, right? Lord, save us from Nashville traffic. But these are, are, are just a couple of examples that seem really irrelevant when we think about the things that have captured the headlines of the news recently. Comparatively to the things that are just happening in the body of our Axis Church family, these things seem far off. We've had loss of life. There have been miscarriages, infertility, insurance claims, COVID, and other illnesses have kept us apart from each other. There's struggling marriages. Somebody threw a Molotov cocktail through the front window of our church building. And again, these are just a few of the things that are happening in the body of our church family. And it doesn't really scratch the surface of the turmoil that some of us are dealing with on a daily basis. Some of us have been dealing with this turmoil since going back to 2020. Some of us, it goes back way beyond 2020. And these issues and and these struggles and anxiety-inducing situations, they're real. And, And we feel the weight of this anxiety bubbling up in us right now just talking about some of these things. And so what, what do we do with them? We look for something to take the edge off, just to escape, something to give us just a, a moment of peace. We'll turn to alcohol or, or drugs or porn. And these are, are terrible stand-ins for peace. Some of us will look to relationships, husbands, wives, boyfriend, girlfriend, even kids. We'll use gossip, social media, books, movies to to find peace. We'll go for a bigger house, a higher paying job. We look for more power at our work, more control in our home, and these These seem to be a little bit more respectable stand-ins for peace. But the fact is that all of these things are giving a false peace, a a momentary reprieve. And when that that feel-good feeling goes away, all of the original problems are still there. Turning to these things to save us from the woes of life, these situations that we've just mentioned, in reality is sinful because we cannot replace God and put Savior weight on things or people that crumble under the weight of a feather. Webster's Dictionary defines peace as a state of tranquility or quiet, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions, Harmony and personal relations. And these all, 
these definitions all sound peaceful. But the reality is what we want, what we are waiting for, what we are, are longing for is so much better. It's so much more than what Webster can define. In Genesis 1, uh, the creation account gives us a picture of this peace, this peace that, that we are wanting, that we're waiting for. In the creation account, each day, God creates, he looks at it, and he says, it is good. And this word that he uses, it is good, good in Hebrew is tov. And that word tov in Hebrew means to be in harmony with God. So in creation, his creation is in harmony or at peace with him. And in Genesis 3, what typically is referred to as the fall happens. And this is where through direct disobedience or sin, this peace and harmony with God is broken. And, and we and everyone else throughout history is dealing with the fallout of this sin. We inherited this sin and we partake in this sin willingly of our own choice. Genesis 3 is, is where this wanting and this, this waiting for peace that we had in Genesis 1 comes from. It's one of the struggling. It's, 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 a str- it's one of the struggles and it's the, the striving that we see throughout the Bible. Trying to attain peace with God. But as we see throughout Scripture, it's not something that we can create on our own. The wanting and the, the waiting for peace is real. And the, the wanting and waiting for Israel was taking too long. And we're no different, impatient. They created something to worship in wooden idols in the wilderness, and we've done the same. I'll step on toes here a little bit, maybe. Sports and recreational activity. Stepping on my old toes. They worship false gods from nations surrounding them. And we found things to worship to take the edge off in alcohol, in drugs, in food even. And these are, are all false gods could not give them and cannot give us peace. These are are false gods that could not reconcile Israel and cannot reconcile us back to God. And, And that's what we need. This reconciliation is what we need, not just a state of quiet or tranquility. And God promises this peace, this shalom in the Hebrew. It's the idea of completeness, of wholeness, uh, of being restored, reconciliation. The prophets, the mouthpieces of God used to speak to Israel and Judah 
to call them into repentance or their sin would have devastating consequences for them. And he, he does the same thing to us through his word here. But he doesn't leave us. He didn't leave Israel without a promise of peace. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, Isaiah talks about the coming of a Savior who the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is a promise that God has made. And he goes beyond this later in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. He makes a covenant of peace. In Isaiah 54.10, God says, For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. And then in Ezekiel 34, 25 through 31, this is, this is a picture of, of what this peace is going to be like. So just think through these things as we read them. God says, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and all the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord. When I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them, They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. That's, that's a beautiful picture of peace and what it could be. And those are just three instances of, of peace that are mentioned in promise and covenant um, in the Old Testament. There's over 200 mentions of peace in the Old Testament alone. Uh, There's a a multitude of these same wanting and and waiting depictions throughout the psalm. Many of the psalms have this saying, it was up on the screen earlier, how long, O Lord? And and this is our sentiment. We, we, We want and we wait for that peace. In, in Psalm 85, 8 through 10, the psalmist says, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. 
for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. And this psalmist is feeling the same way that we are. He's wanting, he's waiting for peace. They want to hear the peace that the Lord speaks. They want to see the culmination of righteousness, of true righteousness that can only come from God and the Prince of Peace coming together and making things right again as they were in Genesis 1. And there is, there is one definition um, of peace that Webster gives that, that it's a little bit closer uh, to the original Hebrew, that shalom that we talked about earlier, and the Greek in the New Testament, irene. Uh, and, and this definition is a pact or agreement to end hostilities between those who have been at war or in a state of enmity. And this is us. Because of Genesis 3, And because of our own sin, we are in a state of hostility with God. At war with him. For all intents and purposes, we are enemies of God. And this this relationship vertically, broken, affects all of our relationships horizontally. We can't have peace with each other if our relationship is not reconciled with God. We we want this peace and, and we wait for this peace. But God, knowing that it's not something that we could ever do on our own, God himself did rend the heavens as Isaiah asked for in Isaiah 64 and he came down. Jesus Christ did take on flesh and live a perfect life obedient to the Father's will. Jesus is this peace, this wholeness and completeness that brings us back into shalom back into Irene. This, Jesus is this peace that brings us back into peace with God. Friend, repenting and believing in Jesus Christ is the only way to have peace with God. In Ephesians 2, Paul says it this way, starting in verse 13. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, and you were far off because of your sin, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, we're one, in Christ Jesus, 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, one in Christ Jesus, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And Jesus does this. It's amazing to me that what's going on here, there's two things happening simultaneously, right? One, Jesus is killing hostility. Dead, done, gone. No more hostility. And, and while he's killing hostility, at the same time he's doing this, he is B, making peace. He's creating it. He's not just telling us about peace. He is actually making it. And it's not something that we are capable of doing. It's only something that Jesus can do. And repenting and believing in Jesus is the only way to have peace with God. And this is so much more than wanting our kids to behave on the right end. This is so much bigger, so much more than just wanting a smooth ride in Nashville traffic. it's, It's so much more than just taking the edge off or escaping for a while. It's, it's so much more than a momentary rush of endorphins. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples, telling him about things that are about to happen, and he, he gives them comforting words as he tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit is coming to help. And then he says to them in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The world gives with a false peace, y'all. A peace that cannot save and it will not satisfy. The world gives a momentary endorphin rush. Christ gives everlasting peace. And then Jesus is talking to his disciples still at John 16. And and, and this area, 14 through 16, is is Jesus' last... um, real huddle up with his disciples right before he is about to be left alone, betrayed and crucified for our sins. This is his last sort of pep talk before all that happens. And he's told them all of these things. And he says to them in John 16, verse 32, knowing that he's going to be left alone by the disciples and has told them that. He says, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, told you about all these things that are going to happen. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. 
in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. This is a good reminder. Jesus says to his disciples, and he's saying it to us, that in the world, we will have tribulation. But it's also a great reminder that what we read in Ephesians 2 just a minute ago, and I don't know how many other times in Paul's letters that he talks about in Christ. Christian, talking about you in Christ. Christian, in Christ, you may have peace. And so then, just as the people in the Old Testament waited in anxious tension for the first coming of Jesus, we want and we wait longingly for the second coming of Jesus. We have his peace now that that passes all understanding. It is a gift and a seal of the promise through the Holy Spirit that enables us to live in this sin-sick, broken world. He gives us peace in the midst of the death of a loved one. He gives us peace in the midst of miscarriage. He gives us peace in the midst of sickness. Peace in the center of hostility and turmoil and tribulation. Jesus gives us peace in the midst of knowing that things are not the way that they should be. Not a false peace that can only take off the edge, but a true peace that holds us steady and points our eyes to Jesus. And so we still wait because the consummation of the covenant of peace is coming at Jesus' second coming. The promise of peace is still a promise. It's still a covenant. And God has never broken a promise. Nor has he ever come short on any of his covenants. A peace that is going to be for all eternity. And I'll close with this before communion because it's, it's fitting it's God's word. I can't say it any better than that. 2 Peter 3, 13 through 14. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Waiting. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So now, Christian, we remember the peace that comes only through Jesus, through the sacrament of communion, where we'll take the bread, which is representative of Christ's body, broken for us, and we'll dip it into the juice or the wine, which is symbolic of Christ's blood shed for us, poured out for the forgiveness of sins.
He took our sin, our disease, our dis-ease, our unrest, the brokenness, and he gave us his peace. Let's pray. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. And we proclaim the mystery of the faith that Christ has died, he's risen, and Christ is surely coming again. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be on this special time of worshiping communion and in remembering. And triune God, will you remain with us faithfully, even to the end. You've been listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.